Today's scripture reading is uh, Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 through 17. It can be found, I believe, on page number 3 of the Pew Bible. Hear now the word of the Lord, which is inspired by the Holy Spirit, infallible and inerrant. Now the man had relations with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. And she said, I have gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. And again she gave birth to his brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of flocks, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. And Abel, on his part, also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering, but for Cain and for his offering he had no regard. So Cain became very angry, and his countenance fell. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your countenance fallen? And if you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you, but you must master it. And Cain told Abel his brother, and it came about when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And he missed a page there. What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you cultivate the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. You shall be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is too great to bear. Behold, thou hast driven me this day from the face of the ground, and from thy face I shall be hidden, and I shall be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth, and it will come about that whoever finds me will kill me. So the Lord said to him, Therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance will be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord appointed a sign for Cain, lest anyone finding him should slay him. Then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord, and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. And Cain had relations with his wife, and she conceived, and gave birth to Enoch. And he built a city, and called it the name of the city Enoch, after the name of his son. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, children, three to six at this time, can be dismissed to their class. So if you are one of these that follow along closely with the bulletin that we gave you, you will appreciate the reading there by Joanna. That was not Joanna. That is Jess's wife. So I guess they switched places there at the last minute. Um, just so that you know. 
We are going to uh, look at this chapter today, and uh, I've titled this title of the sermon is The Nature of Sin. And so before I go any further, I know that there are many, at least in our culture today and around the world, that believe that when we talk about sin, we're talking about something from way back, and sin is not, is that even a real concept today? And uh, we believe that the scriptures are inspired and infallible, and indeed sin is a real concept, and as a matter of fact, it is uh, even this day a part of my life and yours. And so before we go forward, would you pray with me? Holy Father, we lift up your word, believing that in it is the word of life. It is truth, and we uh, submit and surrender to it as the final authority in our life. And we have found great hope in your word, and we today ask that you would come through the power of your Holy Spirit, illuminate the words in these texts, teach us about yourself, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So, if you came to me and said that uh, you had met my son recently and uh, you really enjoyed his musical talents with the saxophone and you went on to tell me about, you know, his kind nature and his wonderful sense of humor, which he actually does have, um, it would mean very little to me because my son doesn't play the sax. And it would quickly reveal to me that you're talking about somebody other than my son. And so I would not be uh, honored or flattered at all if you were to talk to me about my son who played the sax. He's never even picked up a saxophone as far as I know. I see this with people that claim to know the Lord Jesus Christ. They'll talk about him in ways that quickly I can pick up. They, they don't know him because that's not true of him. That's not true of the Lord Jesus Christ or his father. And what I quickly turn to and think is we desperately need right doctrine and understanding of who God is before we can really enter into true worship. You see, you could come to worship and I could come to worship and we could be worshiping just like that guy that was talking about my son. My son doesn't even play a sax. And so if you're worshiping and it's not true and doctrinal and right theology, God is not flattered in the slightest because your understanding of him is not true. And so he says we should worship in spirit and truth. And that is very, very important. It is central to good worship. And so today our text can teach us a lot about God, about us, about sin, and its central nature to the human condition, as well as prompting us to better and true worship. 
You know, I've uh, sat in locker rooms or different places, and I've heard men brag about immoral behavior, sin behavior, as if it's okay and fun. Well, the Scriptures say it is fun for a season, but eventually I have watched as I've lived longer to see how hateful sin really is and see how destructive and poisonous it is to our soul. I think John Piper has said it this way, and I think there is a slide. Sin is like spiritual leprosy. It deadens your spiritual senses so that you rip your soul to shreds and you don't even feel it. I spent a summer in Thailand in the 90s. I didn't realize that in the 90s this was true, but we went north out of the city from Bangkok to a small area and it was actually a leper colony, just like what you see in the Scripture. Now, these people had been healed of their leprosy, but as I interacted with them, some of them would not have noses, some of them missing fingers, limbs, digits. And so I asked the question to the doctor that was with us, how does leprosy make them lose their appendages? And she said, oh, it's simple. You stop feeling your nerve endings don't work anymore. And so you're standing there and you're cooking an egg and meanwhile, you're not noticing it. You got your hand sitting on the fire and then you start smelling something. <laughs> that don't smell like an egg. Oh, that's my hand. And you lose your hand. You see, sin is like spiritual leprosy. It deadens your spiritual senses so that you rip your soul to shreds and you don't even know you're doing it. It's crazy. Well, a key to understanding the sin that we're seeing in our text in chapter 4 is to remember what God said to the serpent, really Satan, in Genesis 3.15. To understand chapter 4, you've got to go back and look at Genesis 3.15. You may remember, if you were here, that I said Genesis 3.15 is the first gospel presentation in the Bible. Now let's read it again together so that we can understand our text in chapter 4. Genesis 3.15 says this, I will put enmity between you and the woman. So God is speaking, and He's speaking to the serpent, which we know the serpent is being controlled by Satan. He says, I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. In other words, all the children that come after you, the, the lineage that comes after you, will also be at war. And then it says, He shall bruise your head, a mortal wound. So Christ is the seed here. And eventually, He's going to stomp on Satan on his head and finish him. That's what it's saying. But... Uh, you shall bruise his heel. God's saying to the serpent, to Satan, you'll bruise him. How did he bruise him? He bruised him at the cross. It looked like death, but we know he raised again on the third day, and that is why we're here. So that's the prophecy. It is a messianic prophecy that what we're going to see of Genesis 3.15 is progressive revelation. This prophecy will progress and through all of human history, we're going to see the seed, the offspring of Satan, and the offspring of God. 
and they're going to be at war. And I would venture to say that is going on right now in our world, the offspring of these two. And it has been going on for two, three, four, five thousand years. And so the enmity idea is a state of feeling or being actively opposed or hostile to one another. It's an enemy. This war is playing out in our text. Adam and Eve, it says in our text, give birth to Cain and Abel. So they have these two sons. And even though they are from the same parents, I want you to catch this, from the same parents, one, Cain, is going to be the seed of the serpent. And the other one is going to be the seed of Christ. Now, we know that he kills Abel. And next week, we're going to pick up where they have another son in the place of Abel named Seth, and he actually becomes the seed that will come and bring the Christ into the world. But from the same parents, you get the, the battle that was mentioned in Genesis 3.15. Essentially, that's what we're seeing here. Now, look with me at your Bibles at Genesis 4, 3 through 5. <clears throat> Genesis 4, 3 through 5. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock. Notice it says firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face, his countenance, fell. Notice how it says, the Lord had no regard for Cain's offering. The obvious question there for the Bible study student is why not? Why did God not uh, have some regard for Cain's offering? He brought an offering. Abel brought an offering. It, it let me just cut to the chase. It doesn't have to do with whether it was an animal offering or something from the ground. All the commentators, everybody through history said that's not the issue, if, in case you were wondering. Is that what the issue was? That's not it. <clears throat> Look at Hebrews 11.4. I'll give you a minute to get there. Hebrews 11.4. Let Scripture interpret Scripture. <clears throat> In Hebrews, God is revealing to us what God knew at the time of this offering. And at Hebrews 11.4, he says this, By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commended him by accepting his gifts, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. And so by faith, Abel came and offered to God. I mean, the logical conclusion would be this. Cain must not have come to God by faith, and God knew that. And if we are to worship God, it doesn't really matter if we put on our best clothes and we come every Sunday to church all of that is periphery. It's secondary. 
What really matters is that we come before God with an offering of our heart and our mind and our wills engaged in worship. How many Sundays, frankly, have I sat in church when I wasn't the pastor and never really worshiped, never engaged my affections, never engaged my mind and surrendered my will to the Word of God. I just came and I sat. And it was over and then I left. So Cain is coming to this offering much like that. Where Abel is coming with faith. And Martin Luther, the father of the Reformation, says it this way. He said, the faith of the individual was the weight which added value to Abel's offering. It was the faith of the individual which added weight to the value of his offering. And so, unlike human observers, God in our text sees the condition of Cain's heart and he sees the condition of Abel's heart just like right now. This is a scary thought. He sees your heart. He sees my heart. He knows whether we're truly engaged in worship or not. Or we just showed up because it's Sunday and we go to church. He knows. He knows. It is so easy to go through the motions and never truly worship Him. You know, even earlier, just a moment ago, we give our offerings, that's part of what we do as we come together as a body of believers, is we give our offering to the Lord, much like they gave their offering. And, uh, you know, the Old Testament kind of says 10% is a tithe. That, that's a good starting place to think about. The New Testament really talks about our offering as being cheerful and generous. Cheerful and generous. I had someone come up to me, and I'm going to point you out right now. No, I wouldn't do that. They came up to me after church one day, and they said to me, almost kind of bragging, I put money in your plate every week. And I thought, what? You put money in my plate? I don't have a plate, brother. This is the Lord's house. That plate that goes by is between you and Him. That is your offering to Him, not me. And if you think it's me, you're not worshiping. Even if that money, even if that money was taken by a person, a church or an institution, and used in inappropriate ways, if you gave it to the Lord, that's worship. That's worship. And so, um, look at Genesis 4, 6 through 7. Genesis 4, 6-7. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. So last night when I was practicing this with my wife, she said, you should read that from the NIV as well. So I'm going to read it from the NIV. 
as well. I think she's right. I think it was a helpful translation. So in the NIV that's in your pew Bible, this is how it reads, 4, 6 through 7. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It's desire to have you, but you must master it. Sin's desire is to have you, but you must master it. Hmm. This is uh, obviously, you know, Cain is just spitting mad at this point. He's just, and God is saying, this is so bad for you, Cain. It's even impacted your face. Your countenance is even obvious that you're mad at me and mad at the situation. And so Cain's true character is being revealed here. And then God kind of offers him some fatherly advice. He says, do right and obey me and things will be better, Cain. But if you do wrong and you disobey, it will lead to sin dominating you. Sin will own you. Don't go there. A couple of my high school buddies have died recently. They were the most dominated by sin guys I have ever known. And it was their sin issues that led to their premature deaths, both in their very early 50s. Did one of them's funeral just recently. He had been dominated by sin his entire life, and it finally caught up with him. So let's explore the nature of sin for a moment. The text says... It is crouching at the door, waiting to pounce on you. So, the history of the human race presented in Scripture is primarily a history of man in a state of sin and rebellion against God. And God's plan of redemption to bring man back to himself. Therefore, it's appropriate to consider the significance of of the sin nature let me define it this way so that we're working with a definition that is uh, equal Wayne Grudem in his systematic theology defines sin this way he says sin is any failure to conform to the moral law of God and follow this any failure to conform to the moral law of God in act or action attitude now the bar just went way up or nature and we'll talk about what does he mean by nature in just a moment but either in act attitude or nature sin includes not only individual acts such as stealing or lying or committing murder but also attitudes Jesus when he came he said if you even think about hating someone you've committed murder he raises the bar incredibly Therefore, a life that is pleasing to God is one that has moral purity, not only in the way it acts, but also in the desires of its heart. That's a whole nother ballgame. And where we're getting to is 
In uh, Mark 12, <clears throat> I've always found this to be a fascinating, one of the most fascinating passages in all of the Bible. Hang on, I got something. <coughs> and the reason I find that is the Pharisees. The Pharisees come to Jesus, and this is what they say. Imagine this. They say, hey, out of everything you've said, out of everything you've said, what's the most important, Jesus? I mean, a lot of y'all don't know the old commercials, but E.F. Hutton used to say, when E.F. When e. Hutton talks, people listen. You lean in. When somebody says, out of everything you've said, Jesus, what's the most important? And in 1230, he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, meaning your affections, your emotions, with all your soul, at the deep desire level, with all your mind, you shall work in your mind, you shall study the Word to know Him, and with all your strength. You should love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That is the most important thing I have said. Wow. Do we live like that? Do we, <clears throat> do you, do I live like that? So let's talk about this. <coughs> I don't know, guys, if I'm going to make it through. <coughs> I mean, it's like uh, something has crawled down in my throat <coughs> and is saying, you're not going to finish this. <coughs> yeah, I may, may need to in a moment. <coughs> All right, let's talk about the nature. Remember I said, Sin is any failure to conform to the moral law of God in act, attitude, or nature. So we've talked kind of about actions and attitude. What about nature? Let me say this. When you're born, the Scriptures teach, and you can go to John 3 where, God, where Nicodemus comes to Jesus and he says, what do you got to do to inherit eternal life? He says, brother, you got to be born again. You're born first of water, but then you've got to be born of spirit. What's he saying? This is what he's saying. When you're not a Christian, and most people don't understand this, I don't think. This is according to the Bible, not according to what secular culture teaches. But when you're not a Christian, follow me on this, and you're laying in your bed asleep, dead asleep, not a Christian, in your bed asleep, you, at that state, are an active rebel to God. In your sleep, you're a rebel. People say, ah, oh, that's crazy, Clint. I'm not a rebel. Well, let's look at the Scripture. Look at Ephesians 2, 3. It says, he's talking to the Ephesians, but now they've become Christians. But this is what he said among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature, by your nature, remember that's the word, children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. In other words, God's wrath 
until you are covered like an umbrella on a really rainy day when I walk outside if I do not have an umbrella and it is pouring down I get soaked with water follow this when the wrath of God rains down on sin and you walk out there under no cover no cover of Christ the wrath of God rains down on you that's a fact that's the scripture Without the covering of Christ, you are under the wrath of God because you are a sinner. And what I would say to you is, cheer up. You're worse than you think you are. And I mean that sincerely. All of us. Me too. And that is why we need the grace of God on our lives. Your sin problem is pervasive. Your sin problem is worse than you realize. I guarantee it. Some people have told me through the years, well, you know, I just, I hear your testimony and I just don't think I need Christ like you needed Christ. Because I did have some hell, hellious pagan years. And I think to myself, the problem is you've never walked out into the light. Just, just yesterday, I put on a pair of sweatpants and a sweatshirt, and I was going to the gym, and we've got a golden retriever. And our house was kind of dark. And I got outside, and I started to get in the truck to go to the gym, and I looked down, and I looked like a dog. I had hair all over me. I, inside, in the dark, I didn't see it. I walked outside, and it was a really bright, nice day, and I go, I can't go to the gym like this. Here's the issue. The closer we get to Christ, the more His brilliance and light shines on us and the more we see our sin. That's why Paul said, I am the chief of sinners. He meant that. But I had a quarterback at Georgia Southern that told me, he said, uh, he was in a Bible study with me, he said, man, I don't struggle with lust. Well, I knew when he told me this, he was having sexual relations with his girlfriend every week i said i know why you don't struggle with lust because you're not trying to fight it so we have a sin problem let me ask you this and this i won't probe this too far but i just want to say it because i think it might get some of us thinking about our sin problem at a whole nother level which i think would be good the better you understand your sin problem the more beautiful your salvation becomes. So, for a deeper understanding of the gospel, let me ask you this question. Did you pray a prayer and become a Christian? Or did God save you mysteriously through the power of the Holy Spirit and then you acknowledge that with a prayer? just to help you out a little bit. How could you decide to be born again? Nicodemus 3. I didn't decide my first birth, and I don't really think I decided my second birth. I think it's a mysterious work of God. We were slaves to sin. Ephesians says you were dead in your sin 
No one comes to God unless the Father who sent me draws him. John 6, 44. John 3, you must be born again. I didn't initiate my first birth, and I don't really think I initiated my second one. I do believe, I do believe there's mystery here. Don't get me wrong. I did decide to follow Christ. In time and space, I asked God to come into my life. What I'm saying is I think God did something bigger and deeper and further from eternity that brought me to himself because I was a slave to sin. Just like this, and I've shared this before, we're talking about this concept of sin before we were Christians. It's like I was laying in my bed and a murderer breaks into my house. Peggy's not there. Nobody's there. I'm there by myself. And he jumps on top of me. And this guy's a beast. I mean, you know, like, I don't know, just a, a complete animal. And he's on top of me and he's just wailing, 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 wailing. And I'm starting to scream, help somebody help me I'm getting the snot beat out of me in here somebody got to help me I'm going to die and luckily Bob at this point is only 30 <laughs> and he's my neighbor and Bob's been working out and he's feeling good about himself and he comes running in my house and he sees what's going on and I mean come flying through the air like Jean-Claude Vaudam and he does this karate kick in this guy's back and this guy's spine severs at the moment he kicks him and that guy just falls on top of me and I'm still screaming like a little sissy get him off get him off Bob and Bob says man I broke his back brother just push him off you see this is how this plays out before I was a Christian I could do nothing to stop sin from just wailing on me but after I become a Christian, it is like Bob has broken the back of the sin. Jesus has broken the back of sin. Now I have the power and the Holy Spirit to push sin off of me. And I can get up and go on with my life. You see, before you're a Christian, you don't have that power. But after you're a Christian, God still leaves a remaining sin nature because by faith, He wants you to appropriate and to call on Him for help with your sin. Cain, he didn't do that. Cain did the opposite of that. He got mad at God and when God finally shows up, he says to him in Genesis 4, 9, where is Abel, your brother? And he said, get this, get this. He's talking to God, which we do it too. We just don't get it as verbal as this. He said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? You hear the sarcasm in that? He lies. Cain lies right in the face of God. And then he says, <laughs> I don't know. The truth is he knows exactly where his brother is. But doesn't that sound like us in our sin? Justifying it, somehow blame shifting, not taking ownership. 
And then, you know, like a smart aleck, he responds, am I my brother's keeper? Instead of fearing God, you know what Cain does? He begins to question God. And you know what I have learned? I have learned that when I get a little bit away from the Lord, let's say for a few days now, I haven't been in His Word, I haven't been praying, and I get into an area of sin, you know what happens to me in my soul? Is I begin to question God about stuff. And what I used to see in the light, I can no longer see in the darkness. And in the darkness now, I start to question. God, where were you when that happened in my childhood? Why did you let that happen? I could be at a whole other place if you hadn't let that happen. You see, instead of fearing God, Cain begins to question. Sin leads to unbelief. Sin will take you down a path of unbelief. We must remember God's faithfulness in our times of doubt. We must. We must remember His faithfulness in our times of doubt. So, let's play it out practically. Let's say that you're a parent of young children and you go to the park, male or female, and somebody gives you some feedback about your child. We all love that as parents. Like they say, why is your child so unruly? Oh, uh, because I'm a loser. I'm a bad parent. That's what you want me to say, isn't it? I mean, why else would you say it like that? Or let's say it this way. Maybe, maybe you're at work and your boss comes in and he gives you some really critical feedback. It's easy to be hurt and to be defensive in those moments. But this is how I think Cain should have responded, and this is how I think we should respond to sin. First, I think we've got to acknowledge and repent. We acknowledge our sin. God, I'm bitter about that. This person said this, and I have gotten bitter about it, and I just want to acknowledge that before you and repent. And then second, and this is a practice that I would encourage all of you to do, it's an act of faith. So there's repentance and then faith. And the faith part is this. I say, what lie am I believing in this situation? And when I begin to see what that lie is, I say, then, Father, what is the truth here? What is the truth about this? So let's say it's a boss, and he's just laid into me, and I came out with half of my backside gone, and I'm thinking... All right, Father, that just ticked me off. I'd like to just go punch him in the face. That's wrong. I'm going to repent of that. And then the lie is, and the reason that hurts so bad, is I'm connecting my worth and my value to my performance at work. And my performance and my value is not connected to my work. And so the truth is, you have said you love me from the beginnings of time. I'm your child. You are the, the God of all creation. My boss is just one of your little creations. That's the way I get back at the boss. And uh, I can begin to embrace 
the truth. And so there's repentance, there's faith or belief, and then you fight for truth. You repent, you believe, and you fight. And we can do this like breathing as we go through our day. Christians should be daily and regularly and even moment by moment repenting, believing, and fighting. We're, we're sinners all the time. We, we tend to believe that, oh, I only sin maybe once a week. <laughs> I'm your pastor. I sin more than that since I've been up here. That's crazy talk. It is, it is like, sin is like. Adam gave us all this little bottle of poison, and we all drank it. And it has circulated through all of our members, all of our parts of our body, and we are contaminated. That's original sin. We are contaminated, mind, body, all of it. And so we often, if not always, operate from this fallen state. And that is why we must repent, believe, and fight repent believe and fight it's like breathing we have to do it we have to do it all the time and today we actually have the elements here and it is an it is a chance to repent to believe and to fight this is a reminder of what christ has done for us at the cross